0: Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, June 6th by Pastor Rob Schaff. Today's message is the sixth sermon in our series entitled Growing Up in Christ Together. Check out SardisFellowship.com for more information about our church. How do we grow? With kids, it's like if you feed them, they will grow. Give them food and wait for the magic to happen. One of the craziest things about the last year and a half of COVID is not seeing each other's kids. A year makes a big difference in the life of a kid. Babies have been born that can now walk that I haven't even really met. Then you bump into a family on a walk or at the store or maybe in a car at one of our outdoor services and it's like, whoa, your kids, they've grown. Growth is the most obvious over time. There are so many farming and plant growing metaphors in the Bible that speak to the question, how do we grow? So far in the sermon series, we've addressed a number of parables and biblical metaphors regarding our spiritual growth as a church, growing in Christ together. One of my personal favorite biblical growth metaphors is found in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 reads like this. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So a tree without water withers and dies, fruitless. And a tree planted by water grows and in season produces fruit. And a believer who delights in the law of the Lord is nourished and produces fruit. When I was in Bible college, one of my most memorable classes that I took was a class that was dedicated solely to studying the Psalms. The whole point of the book of Psalms in the Bible is to shape personal and gathered worship practices to teach us how to pray and sing and how to reflect and how to be in relationship with God and with others and to learn how to be God's people. In that psalms class, there was an assignment where every day we were required to pray through and journal about two psalms. And we always needed to read Psalm 1, which was the psalm we just read, and then we would just pick some other psalm to work through. But the reason we always read Psalm 1 is because Psalm 1 is a big picture heart calibrator. It exists to remind us that the purpose of our acts of prayer and worship and devotion and contemplation is to delight in the law of the Lord, like a tree delights in a stream, to have it nourish you and grow in God's time, producing fruit. So even though it was an assignment where we would fail if we didn't do it, the point was to remember that the exercise was to be one of delight, like a tree delighting in a stream. In John 15, Jesus uses a similar metaphor to Psalm 1, but with one difference. Jesus himself, not the law, is what we are to delight and remain in. And that makes sense because after all, according to Matthew 5.17, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So in John 15, 1-8, Jesus says this: I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So first, the Father is the gardener, the Son is the vine, and we are the branches. And no branch can bear fruit by itself. It needs the vine. No disciple can bear fruit unless they remain in Jesus. A branch that isn't connected to the vine will be fruitless. And fruitless branches are cut off and burned. Fruitless branches are continuously pruned to be more fruitful. And any believer has already, the pruning process has already started. And all of this is to the Father's glory. If we want to grow in Christ together, we must be like that tree planted by streams of water. We must be like a branch connected to a vine. As individuals and as a church, we want to live fruitful lives. And that's the assumption behind this whole sermon series. We've been talking about the practical ways in which we are going to grow in Christ together as a church. That is a metaphor that we want to embrace and we want to live out. We want to be thriving plants that produce good fruit. Now, maybe you're not a metaphor person and that's okay because thankfully Jesus has more to say about this idea that isn't in the realm of metaphor in the verses that come right after the vine and the branches teachings. So in verse nine, it reads, "'As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. "'Now remain in my love.'" I think that Jesus is spelling out what it means to be a branch in the vine. It has to do with love, the love that Jesus receives from the Father he gives to us. We need to be receiving that love ourselves if we are expecting to give that love to others. We need to remain in Jesus so that we have something to give. We as branches remain in Jesus the vine when we love others as Jesus has loved us. Jesus says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. How can you command someone to love? Well, this isn't the command of an armchair quarterback with no skin in the game telling you to do something he isn't willing to do. This command to love is given by Jesus who has done and will do everything that love can do. Jesus is clearly stating what it means to love him and to be a friend to Jesus. If you want Jesus to know that you love Jesus and you value your friendship with Jesus, here's how Jesus requires you to do it. Love each other as he has loved you. N.T. Wright has kind of a cool, quick analogy to understand this. When a mother loves her child, she creates the context in which the child is free to love her in return and sets an example for that child on how to love others. Well, Jesus loves us, and that creates the context in which we are free to love him in return, and sets an example for us on how we are to love others. He can command it because he's shown us. Of course, we are free to ignore the command, but we would actually be rejecting the love that God has shown us. Jesus' teachings elsewhere spell this out plainly. Like, for example, in Matthew 25, 31 to 48, where Jesus says Uh, You know, in the end, when he's on the throne, he's going to divide people like a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. He says to the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Basically, I was in need of love and you loved me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. To the goats, the ones who don't love others as Jesus has loved us, he says, depart from me, you who are cursed. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus is serious about this. Loving others is the right thing to do with the love that we have received from him. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's verse 13. Jesus laid down his life for us, his friends. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins so that we can have right relationship with God is the gospel in a nutshell. It's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. It's Romans 5, 7, and 8. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus laid down his life for us because Jesus loves us. We are to love others in the same spirit. What does it mean to lay down your life for your friends? Jesus isn't saying that we are supposed to die on a cross for the sins of others like Jesus did. That was a once and for all thing. But a passage like Mark 8, 34, 35 does come to mind. Jesus wants us to love in this way. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? He's talking about the boundaries of love. So let me ask you a question. How deep is your love? How far does your love reach? Where does your expression of love go from? Well, this is a fine because it's convenient for me to, uh, this is starting to cost me something to, wow, I'm losing my whole life here. But it's worth it because it's bringing me this complete joy. That's verse 11. If we we haven't received the love of Christ, we can't give it to others. And if we aren't showing the love of God to others, we aren't remaining in the love of Christ. But if we've received the love of Christ and we love others with the love that we've been given, our joy will be complete. Now that sounds pretty good. But wait, there's more. Verse 15 says, I no longer call you servants. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. When you hear me read this verse, chances are you gravitate to the last half of it. What does it mean, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you? Our eyes kind of light up and our ears perk up, and something in our head immediately goes to Aladdin and the genie and the wishes getting God to grant us whatever we want. After all, in so much of our lives, we are consumers trying to get what we want, what's best for us, or at least what we think is best for us. But this isn't about that. This is about what Jesus commands. This isn't permission for us to be selfish and consumeristic in how we live and love and in what we ask God, what we ask of God, this is a charge for us to love others as Jesus has loved us and to know with confidence that God will provide everything that we need to do what we were chosen and appointed to do, to love as Christ loved us, to bear fruit. We take the love that is given to us and we give it to others and the fruit that is produced in all of our lives and in its season is both nourishment and for others to grow, and the very seeds of Jesus' love planted, growing in the hearts of people that don't yet know Jesus. So you can't give what you don't have, but you must give what you do have. And if you choose not to give it, you don't really understand what it is that you've been given. If you love others as Christ loved you, you will remain in his love and be fruitful. Others will experience Christ's love through you, and people will be drawn Christ. Do we love each other as Jesus commands us to? You might recall that at the beginning of this sermon series, Pastor Rod showed a diagram of four trees. One is healthy and bearing fruit. One is being choked by thorns and not as fruitful as it should be. One is totally obliterated, non-existent, and one is standing nice and tall, but without any fruit at all. What is the gardener's next best move for all of these fruit trees? The healthy tree that is bearing fruit will be cared for and pruned so that it can be more fruitful. The tree that is bearing, that is being choked out by thorns will have the thorns removed so that it can be healthy and grow to be more fruitful. The tree that is totally obliterated obviously needs the gardener to come along, rework the soil, and plant new trees. And the tree that looks great but isn't bearing any fruit at all It isn't actually as healthy as it appears to be. Drastic action will be taken. So, where are we on this diagram? What might God's next best move be for us as individuals and families and friends and as a church to grow closer to Him? If we really want to grow up in Christ together, what we're saying is that more than anything else, and by any means necessary, we are committed to knowing the love of Christ in our lives to loving each other with that love, and to showing that love to the world. That is the big thing that brings us joy, what we're going to focus on. We won't start as fellowship to be a church that finds joy in loving each other and others as Christ has loved us. And to that fruitful end, you're going you're to hear us start talking about something called life groups quite a bit. The idea behind life groups is very simple. We want to make sure that within the larger church, you are a part of a smaller group of believers where you get a chance to love others as Christ has loved you, where you can love and be loved, where you can know others and be known yourself, where needs are expressed and met, where genuine personal care is expressed and lived out for one another, where you are living life together with others, purposefully laying down your lives for each other through the highs and the lows, loving each other and experiencing joy through it all. Now, this is currently happening all over the place in our church, already in small groups uh, like ministry teams, Bible studies, coffee meetups, so many different venues. It almost happens by accident as we go about our lives. But here's the thing, it's too important to leave it to chance. We want to do it as a church on purpose. So whether a life group is a Bible study, a mentoring group, a text thread, a ministry team, an accountability group, whatever, the important thing is, is that you are a part of a group of people where you are loving others as Christ has loved you and you are doing it on purpose. That's one of the tools that God is going to use to grow you. So you might be thinking, that sounds nice. What are you actually asking me to do? I'm asking you to commit to sacrificially loving others in our church as Christ has loved you, to desire spiritual growth for yourself and for others, and to be willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. It's actually a big ask. It may seem simple, even though it is a big ask, simple, but when you boil it down, it's the essential command of Jesus that enables every other activity in the life of a church. Love each other and bear fruit. Now recently, I've been really getting into Formula One racing. It's so cool, the fastest cars, the craziest racetracks, the biggest budgets. But what makes Formula One so compelling to me is that it's actually sort of two sports in one. There's the actual races with the drivers where they're racing, which is fun to watch once you actually know what you're watching. Uh, But then there's also the Constructors Championship. And that is where manufacturers are competing against one another to build the best car they design their own car within a set of agreed-upon rules and they're competing to see who can make the best car within those limitations each company spends an obscene amount of time and money researching and developing to push the limits of what that car can do to the absolute extreme to manufacture the epitome of racing machines a formula one car exploiting every opportunity to get an edge over their opponents now, for me, the most heartbreaking thing in any of these races is when the teams spend so much time and money on their cars only to have something seemingly insignificant take their car completely out of the race. Recently, that happened when a car that was in second place and was gaining on first had to resign from the race because it went in to the pit for a three-second tire change, but it sat there for three seconds and 10 seconds and 20 and then too long, and it had to retire because they couldn't get one of the tires off. It wouldn't budge, it was stripped and fused. The Bolt, millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of hours of research and development, and a world-class driver's shot at winning the race was totally blown because of a stripped Bolt. It's so heartbreaking and dramatic and amazing because they failed at something so basic. Why am I talking about Formula One racing? A big part of my job as discipleship pastor is helping Pastor Rob and our church's ministry leaders and leadership team develop our church's comprehensive discipleship plan. The point of that plan is to clearly articulate to you, no matter what stage of life you're in, what your next best steps are in the church as you endeavor to grow closer to Jesus. As churches grow in size and become more diverse in need, it becomes more intricate in how it organizes itself to meet the needs and continue to grow, and that's good and necessary, and that's the point of the discipleship plan. However, it's possible to get so caught up in researching and developing an exciting aerodynamic car that we forget about the bolt. Loving each other and others as Christ has loved us is the bolt. That is the stream of water we want to be planted by, what we are to find our delight in. If we aren't doing that on purpose, anything else is going to be a total and colossal waste of time. If we are doing that on purpose, I think in time, the growth in our church will be obvious. If you want to know how to love that way, life groups are all about trying to figure that out. Go to the church's website, startisfellowship.com, and on the ministries tab at the top of the page, you'll find a life group menu option. Click that, read it through, and sign up and let me know that you're interested in being a part of a life group. Or just give me a call or an email or connect with me somehow and i'll help you get connected into a life group here are some questions and some discussion questions to think about when it comes to fulfilling this command of jesus in our lives first how is god producing fruit in your life currently what is helping you grow second how does the love of christ in and through you nourish others how is it being planted in the hearts Of others through you. And third, when Jesus says greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends, how have you and do you demonstrate that level of love in your life? Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.